What were you thinking of? Now, that type of question might be appropriate if you're asking a a teenager what they had been up to over the weekend or last night. But you could change the inflection of that question and it would sound totally different. What were you thinking of? Now, that question you might ask of someone with whom you had a shared experience and you want to get their reaction to, to what you just witnessed, to what you just saw. And I'd have to figure that, that Peter, James, and John, as they were coming down that mountain, maybe even over the next couple of days, that they asked that question of each other. What were you thinking of? Here they had just witnessed Jesus in all of his glory. They saw Moses and Elijah. They heard God speaking from heaven. I'm sure they were trying to figure out what exactly each other of, of them had thought. Now, we can't really say uh, what their answer would have been, but we know what they had witnessed was certainly amazing. We're going to look at this account today of the transfiguration, and we're not going to focus on just one or two particular points, but we're going to go through and look at this passage by verse at a time or a few verses at a time. So in verse 1, Matthew writes, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. Now, the first question that may come to our mind is, six days later than what? And this verse really sets the context for this account. This takes place six days after Peter, speaking on behalf of the twelve apostles, had confessed that Jesus truly was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And it's also six days after Jesus, for the first time, started to explain to his disciples what his work truly was about. He said that he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. So, if this was such an important event, why just take three? Why the three apostles that that Jesus chose? Well, as we read through the Gospels, we see that these three sort of became the the inner circle, if you will, of Jesus' apostles. We might look at it and think that maybe Jesus was playing favorites because our minds kind of operate that way in terms of jealousy and, and playing favorites. But Jesus really wasn't doing that. These three men ended up being very important in the church. And so that's why he had them come on this particular occasion. He had them join him when he raised a little girl from the dead. These were the three that he asked to be with him when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying the night before he was killed. And these three again, were important people in the church, or they became important people. Peter and James both became leaders in the church in Jerusalem. John was the apostle that lived the longest. He carried out the longest ministry of any of the apostles. And so there was good reason for Jesus to prepare these three men in special fashion. So what happened when they went up On this mountain, it was truly amazing. Verse 2, Matthew writes, There Jesus was transfigured in front of them, 
His face was shining like the sun. His clothing became as white as the light. Jesus' very form was changed. He underwent a metamorphosis. He used his divine power fully to show his glory, something that he hadn't done while he had been on earth carrying out his earthly ministry. His face shone like the sun, his clothing as white as light. We can't even begin to imagine what that sight was like. If we, if we try to look at the sun for even a few seconds, it's probably going to hurt our eyes. And, but this is how brightly Jesus was appearing. Now we have to return to the why. Why Jesus was transfigured. Why he was changed. Because if we, if we don't understand the why, then this just becomes a, a flashy display of power. Remember that the disciples the week before had confessed who Jesus was. That he was truly the Messiah, the promised Savior. And then Jesus had started explaining to them what that meant. That he had to to suffer and die and, and rise from the dead. So the primary reason that Jesus was transfigured before them was to confirm what Peter had confessed. But even more importantly, to confirm what Jesus had said about himself, about his work. You see, the disciples knew that Jesus was the Savior, that he was the the promised Messiah, but they didn't fully understand exactly what that meant yet. And when Jesus told them that he was going to have to suffer and die, recall that Peter said, No, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And that's when Jesus had to rebuke Peter and say, Get behind me, Satan. So when Jesus was transfigured before them, this was proof that the disciples could definitely see that the Son of God, what he said, was true. Jesus' words were verified by visible proof, and that's many times what kind of proof our minds like to see. So what an amazing sight, what an experience for them to be able to see Jesus in all of his glory. But it gets even better. Verse 3 says, Just then Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Now this part of the account might sound a little more strange. Why would you have two of these guys from the Old Testament, two greats from the Old Testament, who've been dead for hundreds of years, why would they appear with Jesus? Well, think about who they were. Moses, as we heard in the Old Testament reading, Moses, who had spoken face to face with God who had led his people out of Egypt to the promised land who had been the mediator between God and man Elijah one of the great old testament prophets during a time working during a time when when things were pretty rough for God's people there were only 7000 uh, of God's people left at that time so why were these two appearing with with Jesus Well, this was another confirmation, another validation of what Jesus had said about himself. The appearance of these two saints verified that what the Old Testament said about the coming Messiah was true and that it was fulfilled in this particular person, in Jesus. So what did they talk about? Matthew simply records that they were talking with Jesus. If we look in Luke's account, of this particular event. It says that that they were talking about Jesus' departure 
which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were talking about the same thing that Jesus had told his disciples the week before, that Jesus was going to have to suffer and die and then rise from the dead. And isn't this proper? Here we have two of the most important people of the Old Testament talking with Jesus about the center of their faith, about the center of our faith, about Jesus and what he was going to do for us, that he was going to die, that he was going to rise from the dead, all to guarantee our eternal life, to give us life and forgiveness of sins. All of this he did for us so that we don't have to die. So then when we when we hear Peter's reaction in verse 4, maybe we're not terribly surprised. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now again, it, it makes a little bit of sense that Peter would say this, but at the same time, we want to say maybe, well, Peter, what were you thinking about? I mean, here are three men appearing supernaturally, and you want to build shelters for them? But there was truth to what Peter said. It was truly good for them to be there because they were being given an opportunity. They were, they were seeing something, witnessing something that no one else had the chance to witness. But still, Peter's statement probably was not as smart as it could have been. Peter's problem, you see, was that he was wanting to prolong this experience, which we can understand in some ways. And yet, this wasn't an experience that could just keep going on without an end. We get to be that way sometimes, that we want certain things to continue. We, we get into a good situation or we start dreaming of being in a better situation and we kind of have this, have this escapist mentality. Even if it's thinking about, well, someday I get to die and go to heaven. Well, that's true. But if we continue to think that way, if we only focus on what life is going to be like when it's better, well, then we miss out on life right now. Perhaps even shirking God-given responsibilities. And so we have to think also about the here and now, not just what the glorious life ahead is going to be. Now, this episode wasn't over yet. In fact, it got even better, even before Peter was done speaking. In verse 5, Matthew says, While Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Just then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now up to this point there had been two confirmations of what Jesus had said. Jesus himself appearing in all of his glory. Moses and Elijah appearing. And now we have God the Father speaking from heaven. Giving confirmation to Jesus. And these words that that God spoke should sound familiar. God said the same thing, virtually the same thing, when Jesus was baptized. Again, God is testifying to the fact that Jesus, who is fully man, is at the same time fully God, who shared equally in the power of God, in the glory of God in heaven. But here we have a little difference 
in what God spoke here versus at Jesus' baptism. The last thing that God said, listen to him. Now, this is an important addition to what God had said. Remember that the main reason that God spoke was to confirm what Jesus had said about himself. And here, God is reminding the disciples, is commanding the disciples, listen to him. Listen to what he says. And we know that holds true for us also, that we need to listen to God, listen to our Lord. We know we don't always do that. We have Jesus' word recorded for us in written form. But we don't always take advantage of reading it, of hearing it. Sometimes we take, we take it for granted. Sometimes we, we say, well, we'll read more of God's word when we get around to it. We don't have to treat God's word this way. In fact, the more that we read the Bible, the more we're going to want to read the Bible. That's because of what the Bible does, what God's word does. God's word is what creates and strengthens faith in us. And so the more we read God's word, the more our faith is strengthened and the more we want to hear what our Lord says. And so this this command, listen to him, it's a command that actually we enjoy obeying. But the effect that that these words that God spoke, the effect that they had on Peter, James, and John, it was a little different. In verses 6 through 8, Matthew writes, When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus approached, and as he touched them, he said, Get up and do not be afraid. When they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. We hear that command. We hear God speaking to us. Typically, we're not afraid. But put yourselves in the disciples' position for a moment. You've just seen Jesus appear in all of his glory. You've seen Moses and Elijah, who've been dead for hundreds of years. They appear. You hear God speaking from a cloud. I think they had every right to be afraid. But Jesus comes to them, and as he always does, he assures them of his presence. Do not be afraid, he said. He wanted them to know that he was still with them. And when they opened their eyes, that's what they saw. They saw Jesus alone. The same thing is true for us, that that Jesus is with us. He promised that he would be with us to the very end of the age. He promised us that, that we're of more worth to him than anything on this earth. David says in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We have countless promises in the Bible that Jesus, that God, is with us. His presence with us is as real for us as it was for those three men who were on that mountain that day. And so we have no reason to be afraid. There's one last part of this account that, again, might be a little puzzling for us. In verse 9... Matthew says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. That would be pretty hard, I would think. Not to be able to tell anybody what they had seen. Not even the other apostles. So why did Jesus tell them not 
to tell anyone until after he had risen from the dead. Well, remember that many of the Jews had false ideas about who the Messiah was supposed to be. Many of them thought that he was going to come and be this worldly conqueror. And so if the disciples go down the mountain and they tell how they've seen Jesus in his glory and in his power, well, maybe that would add fuel to these false beliefs about the Messiah. And so Jesus told them to wait, simply to wait until after his work on this earth was finished. It's the opposite for us, isn't it? We don't have that command to not tell about Jesus. We have the very opposite. Jesus tells us to go, to go and spread the gospel to the entire world. And our motivation to spread that good news is the same as it was for those three apostles. We have seen and we have experienced something spectacular that we want others to experience too. Because we have seen Jesus in his glory. We see him in his glory, in his word, in his sacraments. And we tell others this so that they too can share, not just in seeing him, but in believing in him, in trusting in him for their salvation, for their forgiveness of sins. Because that's what we do. We trust in our glorious Lord for our salvation. Now, we may want to think that that Jesus' transfiguration was more important for those three apostles than it is for us. We're, we're looking at it in hindsight. We look at it as an event that took place. We read about it, and it doesn't maybe seem as real for us. But it's just as important for us as it was for them. One problem in this case, of course, is, again, that we look at it in hindsight but it shouldn't make a difference that, that we see it as an accomplished thing. Because Jesus' transfiguration, the message of his transfiguration, is the same as it was for Peter, James, and John. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, who came to this earth as a man, is also God. He came to live and die and rise for us so that we would also live so that we would live with him forever in heaven. That's the message you see of not just Jesus' transfiguration. That's the message of all of scripture. Amen.